listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at www.newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Andrew and Brian, who became adopters 10 years ago. Hello, both of you. Hi, Tor. Hi. Hi, yeah. So... Can you tell us a bit about 10 years ago? You must have been one of the first couples really to go through the adoption process as a same-sex couple. So in our area, we were the first couple to be approved by um, the local authority to be adopters. So it's always been our claim to fame and uh, we think we should have a blue plaque somewhere uh, (laughs) in the county for us. But unfortunately, they've not risen to that challenge yet. No, you could erect it yourself. I mean, you know... (laughs) Um, so, so how was it back then? How was making those first phone calls? How were you received? Uh, that was really interesting because the, the law had just changed back in 2005 that allowed same-sex couples to adopt as a couple uh, before it was possible for a gay couple to adopt but as an individual. So back in 2005, we had the conversation and we first approached our authority in the early part of 2006. Uh, and to, to be honest, it was very positive. They were very welcoming. We went along to an introduction session. Uh, They were very keen for us to proceed after those initial conversations. So it was positive all around. Obviously, they were feeling their way. Uh, Sometimes the the literature or some of the things that were said in introduction sessions were more of a a slip of a tongue uh, in terms of a social worker referring to finding a new mum and dad for a child and that sort of thing. Uh, But it wasn't meant with any particular malice. It was just literally them finding their feet uh, and getting to grips with the, the new law. And so you were approved as adopters and then you were matched to your child. Can you tell me a little bit about that? We went to panel. I remember the panel day very clearly because it was Friday the 13th uh, was our panel day. And then after that, it seemed to be quite a long delay between us being approved as adopters and actually finding our son. It was it wasn't through one to trying. And I think we even got told off at one point by the social worker for trying to run before we could um, walk because I was busily clicking on every single profile on adoption plus I think it was at the time and then I didn't realize that generated such a response so I think it was it was a strange sort of period for us because we went to these we we actually went to one of the adoption fairs which was where we saw the profile of our son for the very first time and again that was weird because it was us as well that was there so we walked around and saw a board with our profile on and then walked around seeing other boards so I remember that process very clearly but a lot of it was sort of very blurred because I think again having never done this before and and sort of being new to it we didn't really know what to expect and so some of the things like the profiles and the what was it called at the time the report the child the child's report anyway wasn't our social worker picked up very very quickly that the initial report that we'd seen wasn't very clear um, and there seemed to be some gaps and repetition so our older son was um, reassigned a new social worker because at that time um, he had just turned five and so got placed into a different team which was the difficult to place team so any child over the age of five in that county was considered difficult to place and so he just received a new social worker and she was lovely and she went away and she rewrote the report and that came back to us probably a couple of months after 
we'd sort of already started the process and they'd said they would continue they were going they were keen to continue with us and then we got this new report which was quite an interesting thing because it was wildly different from the first report yeah. so it really sort of opened our eyes to some of the issues we'd gone from a, a child with effectively uh, nothing, no, no sort of background, nothing that you would sort of think as a potential trigger for behaviours or whatever to a child that had had some significant sort of traumas early on in life. So it was, it, it initially it was quite a shock actually in that process because we'd gone from sort of this idyllic blue, blue-eyed, blonde-headed, it's not like that, uh, but that kind of child to this child that is going to have or was going to have some issues. So it was quite, that was sort of a, a sudden jump partway through the process. It was. Uh, it, what also made it challenging was it, as, as um, Andrew said, it was quite a few months after our approval panel that we found the profile for the first time at the adoption fair. But then it was another few months, and ultimately it was about six months between us finding that profile and it being reworked and had those discussions with social workers before we had our matching panel. So it was quite a long time in terms of kind of how you prepare yourself, how emotionally kind of invested you are in that individual over that period of time. Uh, and that was quite an interesting to see the changes in us uh, as adults, as you become more involved in the story of that child and you look forward to that child becoming part of your family. Did it make you more nervous when you found out this child that you had thought would be fairly straightforward, might have more complex needs? Or were you, as you say, sort of hooked in by then or, you know, starting to feel attached? You are more hooked in at that stage. And I suppose the thing to say is that as part of the adoption approval process, you are prepared by social workers and agencies as the types of challenges you will have in your life moving forward. So actually, it kind of just reset us back to to what we'd originally expected to actually see that profile in the first place. And you're thinking, well, where are the challenges? That in some ways was quite artificial and unreal because actually you are prepared as prospective and approved adopters that there will be challenges with whatever child that comes to you eventually so it didn't put us off I think it just put us back to what we had originally expected when you adopt a child. So you've got your child home and you're forming your family and some years pass and then you got a phone call. Yeah, I think it was me that took the phone call, actually. I think it came through to my phone. And it was it was a strange call. It was just a phone call out the blue. So it was a social worker. I can't even remember his name at the time. He just sort of said, hello, my name's uh, whatever. I'm a social worker from this county. And um, I'm phoning you to let you know that uh, your son has a sibling. And we're looking at uh, potentially parallel planning for this child would you be interested? And and it was it seemed to be almost as, from recollection, uh, it seemed to be almost as point blank as that. And it was sort of a, a bolt out of the blue. Um, to put it into context as well, it, it sort of come at a really weird point because I had been keen to have another child for a few years and. I'm not going to disclose that we uh, not going to disclose any surprises that we have had issues throughout the adoption. And and even at the early stages, um, our son had been challenging at some points and uh, there had been issues in education and things like that. So it, it had been a little bit of an uphill struggle at times, although those times were far by outweighed by the positives than the negatives. But it had been challenging. So we had had a conversation about whether we were going to go ahead potentially and adopt again. 
And I think it was probably even a couple of weeks before that we that Brian had said that we were going to that he wasn't keen and especially if it was because it this there was no chance of a sibling at this point or we hadn't heard of a sibling and we thought potentially that ship had sailed and so we had got to the point where actually we'd sort of almost agreed that we weren't going to proceed and wouldn't look at adoption again as an option because it was challenging and potentially having children that weren't related would be another challenge and could we deal with that on top of everything else and did we want those sorts of challenges as we sort of sailed through life and so we decided not to and that was so then this phone call came and I remember thinking at the time I don't know a weird sort of sinking feeling about the fact that I wanted to have another child but had we'd sort of said that we weren't going to and so it was how do we sort of broach this subject again and how do we go over it when we sort of put it to bed no I think it's fair to say that we we hadn't hadn't agreed up until that point but then when you get that phone call it gives you a unique opportunity to take that step back to have a rethink about those discussions and then to try and fast forward a few months for a few years and then put yourself in that situation okay, if we did say no at this point, would we be looking back a few years later and regretting it? So you have to have a a rethink at that point. Uh, And I was going to say that it's not unusual for adopters to have those phone calls from social workers about new developments in, in birth families. I think what was unusual for us was that that phone call came when this little boy was about nine months old. Normally, those phone calls would have taken place from social workers pre-birth. They would have said, oh, yeah, birth family, mum's pregnant again. Uh, We're just looking at possible outcomes in a few months' time. But we were faced with the news that mum had been pregnant, had had given birth, and there was this nine-month-old boy out there. And you're right, it's not unusual. We have also had that same phone call, the there is a baby, do you want another child? And it's really strange because you wake up that morning not knowing there's a child out there and suddenly there is with all of the implications of that and all the thoughts of telling your existing child about it and then what to do, what's the right thing to do. It's really, really difficult. So you'd had that phone call. How did you even begin to have that conversation then? How did it go? And did you take up the positions that you had and that one of you wants to and one wasn't so sure or did it feel different somehow? I think it did feel different. Obviously we knew what each other's position was before the conversation started but that was almost put put to one side. I think it was quite a quick conversation between the two of us, that's how I remember it anyway. I think the biggest challenge is how you broach the subject with an existing child because remember at this point there was no certainty that this nine-month-old would come up for adoption they were thinking about parallel planning if the birth family's lives had changed significantly enough then he would have returned back to the birth family so you are in a situation where firstly we are deciding between the two of us which direction do we want to take you then have that conversation with a with, with our eldest son to say should we do this and obviously his reaction was of course he's he's my brother let's adopt him which was lovely to hear uh, and we do remind him every now and then when times are bad or they're having a day when they're niggling each other that he he was part of the conversation and he wanted to adopt his younger brother but I there think was... his exact words were and it was quite nice uh was he's my blood which was obviously at his age 
that was his sort of understanding. How old was your older son then? He would have been about 10, 11 at that point. So old enough for him to have an opinion about it and engage in that conversation. But it sounds like for him, it was very simple and straightforward. It was. Uh, And I suppose the worry for us was, would he be resilient enough that if two or three months down the line, the local authority turned around and said, well, actually, no, he's not going to be coming up for adoption. Uh, But as it turned out, obviously, it it did go through. So. I think it made it very nerve wracking because it adds that extra tension that you sort of never had before when you were going through it in the first time, because obviously the first time you're uh, just you've got no children. So the end goal is having a child, whereas actually the second time around, you've got that child, you've had that little that milestone has passed. And then there's now a third factor in the equation that you've got to put into it. And how do you prepare them? How do you? get them to understand the adoption process. It's difficult enough for for us to go through it and understand it and, and watch the cogs turn very slowly in some cases. Um, but how do you explain that to a 10-year-old that they've got to do this, they've got to go through this? And I think from the conversation, from the initial conversation, I seem to remember that the social worker gave me a little bit of a a sort of a a family update, which was which was really weird, because I think up until that point, we'd really not heard anything. Religiously, we wrote our letterbox every single year and every single year passed and we never had a response back. And in many of the cases, the letterboxes were never received or never taken. So they were always kept on file. And I think having even even to the point that I think partway through, we'd had a, a one of the foster carers for another sibling, because there are older siblings of our children, uh, had sent a card through and it, it sort of came as a bolt out the blue. So the, the initial phone call, the social workers told us what had happened in that interim period. And I think when you hear that and the social worker was sort of saying that effectively there hadn't been huge significant changes in the family's set up and the family situation. And in fact, in some ways it deteriorated. So it was less likely. You almost get that sort of sudden false hope. Well, we've been through this once before and there's no change. So it's almost going to be an automatic process. But then you don't want to think that because then you sort of feel you're going to come become complacent and then it's not going to happen and something will go wrong and so I I don't know almost the second time you were the second time was way more stressful I think than the first time. How long was it between hearing you know that first phone call hearing there was a child to him coming to you? It wasn't long I think we got the phone call in the I think it was late April uh, of that year, after the discussions between ourselves and our discussions with social services about what was likely to happen. Our formal application went in in the July, and then we were approved the second time around as adopters in the October, which was very quick. The first time around, it took about a year because it was going back a while. Obviously, the process these days is much quicker, but it felt almost indecently quick at that point. But it was quick because it wasn't, they weren't assessing us as first time adopters. It was second time round. They were updating our paperwork. They weren't creating it from scratch. It's interesting when you go through the um, the process the second time round, how you look at your family and your friends and your support network uh, and how that has changed from when you were first assessed without children to then having a child and how you interact with people and things you do and the people you see had changed in those intervening years. So that was quite interesting to see. Uh, But it was a much quicker process. It was a very focused process because it was all about updating our paperwork, not creating it. 
I think the longest part of it was actually the two local authorities agreeing to share the paperwork. Because I think obviously our the initial authority that we live in that had done all of the paperwork uh, were reluctant to share it with the new authority, even though it had been shared in the past. It was a case of finding it, finding the social worker and, and sending it all across for it to be updated. So that was quite sort of a strange bit because they seem to be, even though they've had it before, they didn't seem to want to send it again as easily because it meant that they weren't going to be paid as much, I think, effectively to go through the process themselves. And so the child's authority approached the, the authority that we live in, asking them if they would be prepared to update the report. But they weren't. They wouldn't update it. Or rather, if they updated it, then we had to go through the whole process again, whereas the authority where the child was placed they had a much more abridged process to it of just updating the existing paperwork, whereas our, our authority wanted us to go through the, the course again and everything like that. So in, in all honesty, I think going through that course again would have been the end of it for us. It was not a process we wanted to repeat those uh, days sitting watching videos and cutting out cardboard shapes of ourselves and bits of string to show our networks and things like that. It, a, a process that must be done, but not repeated. I remember it very, very well. How was it to go and meet this child? And how was it for your older child to meet the younger child? I think it was very frustrating for our eldest son, because he wasn't able to, to be there on day one. Uh, introductions were very short, some would perhaps say indecently short, it was a five day introduction period, which is from all the people we've met over the years, that's one of the shortest that we've heard of. So on day one, that's when you meet the child for the first time. On day five, he's coming home with you permanently. So very, very quick. But it wasn't until probably day four that our eldest son got to meet his brother. So in the early days, it was just us, which is normal, going to the foster carer's home, meeting this little, little boy for the first time, taking him out on his trike um, and all that sort of thing. So the normal introduction process, but quite a quick introduction process for our eldest son. It was very frustrating for the first few days because we were coming home and sharing pictures and telling him about his brother. But he wasn't able to, able to meet him. That was quite strange. And it was a very different experience from the first time. I remember the first time we went to the foster carers to um, meet our older son, it was a very different style of foster care to the second uh, situation with our youngest son. The foster carers were almost like chalk and cheese. And I think I, I'd gone into this. I remember the first time thinking that all foster carers were a bit like Doris Day and wore gingham dresses and pinafores and baked a lot and that sort of thing had these houses with frilly curtains and all sorts but it was a bit of a shocker I think when we when we actually met our first foster carer in contrast to how this image that we'd expected and this utopian childcare. so whereas the second foster carer was probably a bit more like that and she had she'd only fostered a few children I think uh, our younger son was her second child or third child something like that he was certainly the first that she had to say goodbye to the the first foster carer for our older son she had been a foster carer for the majority of her life and she had done i don't know probably it must have been near hundreds of adoptions yeah. uh, and so she had got the process down she knew what how it happened the process and she was an expert at it so it was it was really different to go with her because she was sort of almost she managed us through the adoption process the first time and sort of the introduction process and she almost went off piste a little bit and got pulled back in by one of the social workers but the second one 
it was very much it was a family home and the uh, foster carer had children of us, her own who were sort of around similar ages to our oldest son so it was sort of very strange going into their family house with their children and this child who was potentially going to become ours who they would bonded with so the first time was a bit different because I had the majority of the adoption leave uh, so I had about nine months off um, and Brian just had the paternity leave that he was entitled to from work plus I think a little bit of annual leave so his time at home with our oldest was much much shorter uh, whereas this time round we had planned that Brian was going to actually do the first bit of the uh, adoption leave and I was going to do the second bit. So at the time, we both worked for the public sector and they were very, what's the word? They were, at the forefront of shared adoption yeah, leave. Yeah, basically. that was it, the forefront. That's the right word. So they agreed it very quickly that we were going to have this shared adoption leave. So as Brian was going to be the primary carer for the first six months, he actually spent all the time with our youngest son and the foster carers in their house learning the bathing process. So I spent most of it sat in their conservatory drinking their coffee, which was strange <laughs> with an, another family around you as well, because you're interacting with this family because uh, they're upstairs doing nappy changes, bath time routines and all that sort of thing. It was, yeah, it was a, a different experience for us. I, re I really recognise that because you're going into somebody else's house and they're so bonded to this child that you don't know yet and it all seems to work so swimmingly and like this oiled machine. And you're going in and sort of disrupting it a bit and kind of trying to care for this child who's a bit unsure of you. And it just feels really strange. And a bit like you, we'd, I'd sort of expected this, um, I don't know, this sort of model of absolute perfection and stuff. And every time our social worker was coming round, we would clean the house obsessively and stuff. So everything gleamed. It's never been so clean. And, um, you know, we would like manage what was out and what wasn't out and how tidy things were. And did this give the right impression and scatter a toy here? And, you know, that sort of thing. And then we went to the foster carer's house and they were just so relaxed. She was sort of like, well, people take us as they find us. And this is where we keep the pet frog. And this is where we keep the pet snake. And these are the ferrets. And this is the dog. And these are my eldest children. And these are her, this is her ex-husband. And they were just loads of people and loads of animals and this sort of joyous chaos and that they're just the most lovely family and they were so relaxed about it whereas we were so tense about making the right impression and doing it right and I had to change my child's top at one bit and got his arms sort of caught up in the sleeves and I was just fingers and thumbs couldn't do it at all because I felt like this room of people were watching me it's it's such a strange thing. Yeah, it is. I think it was very similar for us. And you, I've I've worked with children for many, many years and have changed thousands of nappies. But as you say, the first time you change a nappy on your own child, you suddenly, it takes you 20 <laughs> minutes and you end up with an armful of poo. Uh, and it's <laughs> it's not something that you sort of prepare for. It's, it's, a, it's a learning curve that, uh, yeah. I, I mean, they were the lovely, the, the, to say this, the both foster carers in their own way were were lovely. I think the the second foster carer that we encountered, they weren't they were a similar age to us as well, and so it was it was a very different process with them. It sort of almost has come out like a a mini friendship, and we still get the odd just uh, like message from them or Christmas and birthdays. Christmas and birthdays, you get a quick sort of text, which is is nice, but it's not sort of intrusive in any way. It's just that they're there in the background. It's a part of our life. It's part of our son's life. They were a very 
and are a very loving, caring family. Uh, and that in itself presented a, a challenge on, on the last day. You're, you're there on the last day to, to take your son home. And obviously there is a family there with other foster children, but birth, fa- uh, birth children as well, who have invested kind of time, effort, emotions into this little, at that point he was about 14 months old, into this little boy. So that becomes a very emotionally traumatic day, the, the last day, because we are holding on to this little boy to put him in the car to take him home. Uh, and there's this entire family in, in floods of tears as, as they say goodbye to him. Uh, and you get to the point and you just literally have to kind of make a quite an abrupt ending. Said he'll be fine. We've got him. We'll give you a call later. And you kind of get in the car and you drive because actually the prolonging the goodbyes, which just wasn't 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 nice for anyone. So when you got your new son home and your eldest son has now met him, how did that go? How were they together and how did you change your family, I guess, from a triangle to a square, you know? You did. You are, you are changing it from a triangle to a square. And I suppose in, in the lead up to matching panel and in, in, the, in the lead up to introductions, we were saying to our eldest son that you will no longer be the sole occupant of the centre of our universe you will have to share the centre of our universe. I think that's how we put it. And that is difficult. And that's, that's difficult for any child, that all of a sudden you are not the sole kind of gaze of your parents. You've got to, you've got to share, share the attention. And that's difficult. Uh, and I think in the early days, as with all adoptions, there's that honeymoon period where he, he is keen to be involved and play. He's not going to change nappies, but he's quite happy to sit there. And, I, and there was a certain amount of regression as well, which is quite common uh, with adopted children, that he was seeing his younger brother getting that attention, whether it's nappy changing, whether it's um, having a bottle of milk at bedtime, having that cuddle before bedtime, all those things that as a 10, 11 year old kind of he had moved on from. But you could see a desire to actually perhaps go back to some of those things. And you allow that to happen, which I think outside of adopted circles, people would think that was quite strange. But actually, it's such a positive thing to see that that child wants that level of attention, even at that age. uh, And they want to regress slightly in their lives. So as Brian said, uh, there was there was the regression and we found it certainly with the toys. That was one of the big things, because obviously our younger son came with all of these baby toys. Um, and as a lot of children come from foster care, they come with oh my God, the biggest array of things that you would expect. So you, I think if, if anyone takes a message, don't buy anything because they'll come with it in threefold. And so you I think our son came with two prams toys bedding curtains posters (laughs) lampshades the whole spectrum of stuff and so there was all these toys that were in the house that were littering every single room so our oldest son had uh all these toys to play with and uh he became sort of almost obsessed at times playing with the toys more than his brother would and he would sit there for hours with some stacking tower or something like that and we just let him have that time to go over it and again because I think there was that period where he probably didn't have that when he was at home at the similar age because obviously he was with his birth family at that time and he didn't from from what we sort of have knowledge of he didn't have access to that sort of thing and toys and interaction and positive play weren't there for him so the fact that he was now doing it was sort of a, a positive point for him. 
We had a similar thing, actually, where one of my older children regressed in that way. And she wanted to wear baby grows because the new child was wearing baby grows. But you can't get them to the size that she was. And onesies weren't really a thing. They came a bit later, really. So we had to get the biggest baby grows you could and cut all the feet off. So she looked like we'd found her in the street or something with these raggedy pyjamas hanging off her legs. But that was what she needed to do. She needed to be buttoned into a baby grow in the same way that the new baby was, as a way of reassuring herself that we loved her just like the new baby. One of the things that we've always done for the boys is that there will be a very, very small element that we match up in their wardrobes, um, whether it's a dressing gown or a onesie or a pyjama set or something like that. It's not they. Uh, we never dress them the same because they're individuals and they actually got their own personalities. So they would very rarely dress similarly. But uh, they've always liked the fact that they've got something the same in their wardrobe. So we've we've sort of tried to do that. Which again, as you say, it's very difficult when there's nine years difference trying to find clothes that are in the same place. If I'm ever going to recommend, and this is, I'm not doing this for merchandising purposes, but Marks and Spencers are very, very good for that sort of thing because they will match their baby ranges with some of their older boy range. So you can get away with Christmas onesies and things like that. So we've, we've done very well out of them. <laughs> if we don't get free stuff from M&S now, I'm going to be gutted. Um, <laughs> given that lots of families will get that phone call, the phone call that says, there is a second child or there is a third child, would you consider taking that child? I wonder what advice you would have for people when they take that phone call. I would say take that step back, take a pause, think about it. If it takes a day or two or a few, that doesn't matter. This is such a unique opportunity that it is worth that consideration. No matter what you've thought before, take that step back and seriously consider it. I think it is a monumental decision. I think it's not something you, your initial response when you hear that call is yes, but yes, isn't always necessarily the right answer. And you sort of have to think about your family and how it's been and how it's going to be just going back to what you're saying about, how it impacted on us i think one of the big things that brian didn't really sort of say was actually our older son no longer being in the limelight he really struggled with that and we saw a change in him that in in terms of his behavior that probably regressed a bit as well from where we'd got to and actually school had been getting more positive relationships with with other children were more positive but actually, and his relationship with us was much more positive as well. But actually, after his brother came to live with us, there were some issues because he wasn't the centre. And, and it's very difficult to try and explain to someone that the needs of a 14-month-old are very different to the needs of a 10-year-old. And we have to do these things. We have to wake up in the middle of the night to change nappies. We, ha- we are tired because we're doing this. And it's very difficult for someone to understand that because they have always, as Brian said, they have been the centre of your world for, for so long and they have had everything they want, all of your time, all of your dedication to then going to sharing it. The sibling jealousy that any child has is going to be there, but couple that with the issues that you get through being adopted and all of that, uh, the, the sort of the ripples that that causes further on. 
become bigger ripples. And I think it's not something that is a decision you should take lightly. You sort of have to think about what what your heart wants and what your head wants. You have to balance those two very, very carefully to what you can cope with as a family. I agree with you completely. I think that taking that second or subsequent child can be the right decision, but it can be the absolute right decision to say no as well. I would like to thank our guests today, Andrew and Brian. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea. Thank you for listening.